welcome, welcome, welcome to the Premier League Proven Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with my co-host and brother, Kevin. And welcome to this inaugural Premier League preview episode where we predict the entire table in the Premier League this year with 100% confidence, definitely 100% accuracy, with no chance of any of these backfiring. Uh, Predictions always work out really well. And uh, we want to make sure that we just put these in for perpetuity so that you can always come back and just see exactly how wrong we were. But we wanted to get these down, get everybody a, a bit of a primer of what to expect and and what the baseline is for all of these teams this year and see how exactly the Premier League is going to turn out this year. We are not only going to give you how we think teams are going to place this year, but we're also going to try to figure out if we can predict where some of the golden boots are going to be, biggest flops of the year. We'll give you an over-under line on how many managers get sacked before the end of the year. And spoilers, it is going to be a lot. Of course, we're not going to make any bets on any of these predictions, and which just probably shows how not confident we are in any of all of these. So sit back with us and kind of hear us make fools of ourselves probably by the end of the year. Hey, I might make a couple bets. I don't know. We'll see. You know, I already put in a Spurs for top six before Harry Kane uh, went over to Germany, and I bet you I could have got some better odds. Hey, man, you got to wait for it to get priced in. You got to you gotta wait for it to get priced in the day before the season. I mean, that's the problem with all these things is that these could be subject to change, and this is what we're going to fall back on because the transfer window in the Premier League doesn't actually end until August 31st, and so teams can actually look pretty dramatically different. Uh, especially teams like Liverpool and Chelsea who are expected to have really big signings. And just briefly, I wanted to touch on the craziness, just the absolute insanity in the transfer market the last couple of days. One with Harry Kane. And Harry Kane is just – Bayern has been flirting with him all season long or all uh, transfer window long. And it seemed like they have finally agreed to deal with Daniel Levy, who is just the most annoying person in the entire world to negotiate with. Uh, somebody that you would never, I don't, I'm pretty sure his family can't stand him, but uh, tends to get a decent deal. But it seemed like they had agreed a deal. Harry Kane was about to back out because he didn't really want to leave London. And then it all changed and he started flying to Munich. And then Daniel Levy basically sent some message that he should get off the plane and not board yet. He didn't have a green light yet. They wanted to renegotiate the fee after they had seen all the craziness with the Moises Caicedo deal. And then now it sounds like he's actually showing up in Munich and, and going to leave the Premier League record in second place in terms of total goals scored. And in uh, what is just an absolute crazy, hilarious turn of events. Yeah, a lot of Spurs fans are pretty divided on Daniel Levy. And I mean, the good thing is the good sides of it are he is on your side when you're making deals, but sometimes it probably hurts Spurs because it's just such a pain. I think Ferguson said uh, his hip surgery was less painful than uh, negotiating with Daniel Levy. But yeah, it's pretty funny to, to hear him, Kane, be like, I'm ready to fly, and Levy to be like, mm, you actually don't have permission to get on the jet. So luckily it went through. I think overall probably a good deal for Spurs. Yeah, but I've read it's about 100 uh, million pounds is what the with some add-ons to kind of maybe take it up to 120. So I think it's a good deal for a 30-year-old, but still hurts to, to see Harry kind of leave. And especially in a 30-year-old in his last year of his deal and somebody who probably would have went to the Premier League otherwise. Yeah, and he would have been able to you know name his price with anybody else and probably would be wearing either a Newcastle or a United shirt, and that probably would have hurt even more. So get him out of the league, let him go win his you know leagues for, I guess, 
four up to four years there and make himself feel good that he now has a trophy to talk about. Not salty at all. Yeah, you got to – it's uh, 10 years in a row for Bayern. He's get, really going to make the difference for that 11th in a row. Uh, but anyway, also the Moises Caicedo deal, if you haven't seen – this is like the drama. This is like what makes following soccer kind of – especially the transfer market, like, fo- like it's following reality TV. Essentially, the craziness of that deal is – truly absurd basically chelsea's been trying to get a, a fee agreed didn't really want to ever pay more than 90 million all off season then liverpool comes in with like a 110 million dollar bid after brighton said like a midnight deal and brighton accepts that 110 million pound bid and then moises caicedo basically says i don't want to join liverpool yet i want to see if, if i can join chelsea probably because they're going to pay him more money and maybe he wants to live in london too which you always have to remember for a lot of these guys living in London is a lot better. I mean, uh, London is a probably a better city than Manchester or Liverpool or pretty much anywhere else in England. But uh, and now Chelsea is trying to agree the deal at the price that Liverpool has already agreed on. And Liverpool hasn't backed out, even though he doesn't really want to go there. But Chelsea still hasn't agreed to deal. It's just absolutely craziness. It's. All the memes, uh, if you don't follow uh, Liverpool or Chelsea, a lot of the memes that have come out on this are just great. Um, And following the transfer market is not great for your health, but it is really fun. It is definitely a drama. It is a great way to kind of make sports a little bit more than just watching a game. You can kind of see some personalities come out and on and off the field. But what we're going to do today is try to lock in where we think each of the 20 teams are going to end their seasons at. We'll start at the bottom and build that anticipation all the way up to the top. Uh, probably can guess what at least I have as the the team I think is going to win the title. But hey, we might surprise you here and there. And then we'll give you a couple other predictions that we think might happen. And like I said before, we'll do a show at the end of the season maybe and see if we can do some compare and contrast and see which one of us had a little bit better of a correct ratio. So I'll get it started here on where I think the bottom team is going to be. And personally, I think, you know, no spoilers here. It's going to be a team that was just promoted, a team that's kind of come up and down uh, between the championship and the Premier League over the last few years. But I think it's going to be Sheffield United. What are your thoughts on that? It's interesting because I actually picked Sheffield United at the bottom too. I think most people, and including the bookies, have Luton Town actually is the bottom team. Um, because Luton Town is not really ready for the Premier League. I'm pretty sure they didn't even they they basically came up through the playoffs. I don't think they had built their squad with the anticipation that they'd be up here. So they don't have really the technical players uh, that you know historically would be able to keep you up in the Premier League. But it's interesting that we both went for Sheffield as the bottom team, which is interesting and I think appropriate because a they needed to make the Premier League to survive financially, and because of that, they're going to get a huge amount of money from the Premier League, but with just being in the league from the TV rights, but they've not spent the money um, that they needed to spend to stay up, probably because they needed that money just to survive. They had an incredible striker in the championship last year named Iliman Indai, um, who they actually lost to Marseille, which is honestly a huge oversight or huge issue for them. He was maybe the best player in the championship last year. They also sold uh, one of their best midfielders, Sander Burge, to Burnley, who's another team that got promoted last year. And two of the players that they 
really had a big part of their first team last year were loans from loanees from Manchester City, James McAtee and Tommy Doyle. And they were really important for Paul Heckenbottom and his team last year. And Paul Heckenbottom, I mean, come on, that's just hilarious. That's just the most classic English name. Uh, that kid would get bullied mercilessly in, uh, in the U.S., I think. But uh, they're going to be dependent on a lot of the players that actually got them relegated in 2020, 2021. And that is not necessarily a recipe for the future. I think it's a pretty fair assessment. And so we'll see how they're going to do. And I will not be surprised if they're headed back down to the championship at the end of this year. And losing a lot of those players is actually not only is it not having the players, uh, I think also the morale hit that you're going to see because I think you send a signal when the team doesn't when you get promoted and the team doesn't spend money on the team. I think the players see that. Uh, I think the manager sees that. And I think they're getting the signal from the top that nobody really wants to stay in the Premier League. Nobody really believes in the team to stay in the Premier League. And I feel like that kind of when soccer is just such a mental game, I think that kind of morale hit uh, and not having anybody at the club really believe you're going to stay up is going to be a huge negative and huge downside in terms of trying to keep them up just through sheer will this year. Yeah, it becomes kind of a little bit of like a Ponzi scheme where you're paying off your, your debts and putting that money away to other things. And you're probably just going to have to kind of recycle and do it all again and just see if you can scrap. But number 19 here in my list, at least, is going to be Luton Town. I think we were just kind of talking about them. This is probably the most interesting team that's going to be in the Premier League. Someone that I've never seen anywhere near the Premier League in the last 10 years that I've been watching. And their stadium is this tiny stadium. I actually don't know if they're ready to play home games yet because uh, it wasn't up to specs for the Premier League. You should take a look at it. Like entering the stadium, like some of the gates is literally going through some people's backyards. Like the the, the stairs and the stands that go through, like split between two people's backyards. It's like the quintessential tiny little English town that you can think of. And now they're going to be playing Premier League games. So I think it'll be really interesting to see if this tiny team is able to kind of stay up and hang with the big boys. Whoever owns that backyard, they really need to have like an entrepreneurial mindset. Like they need to be selling water, beer, snacks, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. As people walk on into their seat from their backyard, you know, they can just have a maybe they'll throw like a little uh, above ground pool back there when it gets hot. Although it never really gets hot in England, uh, you know, I think mostly just serving beer. They could probably make a killing back there. You go to one game, you figure out how much a pint costs, you drop it by you know one pound, and those guys are going to be cleaning up pretty well. I think that's the American uh, American heritage t- in us talking. Just uh, try to fully exploit every situation for money. Uh, that's that's pretty much the American way. Uh, but anyway, yeah, if you've watched or ever heard of Wrexham, uh, which is Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' team, which you probably heard of, uh, they are excellent at media. Uh, but they're Luton Town is essentially everything that Wrexham wants to be. Re- Luton Town was in National League, which is the fifth tier outside the the football league, which is the top four tiers in England. And they've worked their way up all the way from National League into the Premier League. Wrexham just had a great season and were just promoted from the fifth to the fourth division. So they have a long way to go to catch Luton Town. And Lute, so you can imagine Luton Town is literally the dream scenario for every team that's ever been down low. Uh, the problem is, is you know, it's hard to imagine that they have the players to really succeed in the Premier League. Uh, 
they're going to need their home field advantage. Their salary structure is they're probably paying their entire team less than Manchester United. Manchester City are probably paying their top two players. So they do not have a lot of access to great talent. They had an incredible defense last year, um, but that's going to be really hard to sustain in the Premier League. Their transfers are really not super impressive. And I, I'm scared for them because I just don't think they're going to have the firepower to actually score goals. Um, people kind of expect them to be a throwback team. So this is the kind of play team that's going to, you know, when you don't have the guys to outplay your opponent, the tried and true method is basically throw your elbows around, put big guys up top, lump it to their head and just try to score scrappy goals. The problem is that's exactly what we did in high school. When we played soccer, that was the tactics that we used. And so when a Premier League team is essentially using what we use, and we weren't very successful. Uh, it's it's not looking great for them as a for the season. Still a cool story. Still a cool team to watch. Uh, I've seen Reddit threads. People just look at their stadium and say, "Hey, should I f- watch and follow Luton Town as my team?" You know, more power to you. But just just be ready that you might need to figure out how to watch the championship from the states if you pick Luton Town. It is great to watch uh, Manchester United and Liverpool. They're like multi-billion-dollar corporations, and they're just going to be walking into like some pitch that's you know less less advanced than a lot of high school texas high school football stadiums so either way i think this year there's a lot of teams that could get relegated but luton town and sheffield are going to be really fighting for trying to survive this year so the last team i have in the relegation zone this year is going to be wolves uh, wolves are an interesting team they have probably over the last 10 years that they've kind of been out punching their weight class uh, the basically became the de facto Portuguese uh, place for Portuguese players to go play. Um, it kind of has a lot to do with uh, one of the, the most well-known uh, agents out there who, who basically also manages Ronaldo, but manages a bunch of uh, the Portuguese players and was kind of bringing them there for, for a little bit cheap and sweetheart deals. So much so that they're like alternate kit because like, they're like Wolverhampton and they have this like white, this yellow and black kit. Uh, and then they're like away jerseys became this like maroon and uh, green. I'm not sure if that was like historically what they had, but it just looks like the Portuguese uh, national team jerseys. So I'm not sure if that was uh, something just kind of bring in some more Portuguese fans and make them enjoy it. But uh, they're probably going to have some struggles this year. It doesn't seem like they've really uh, righted their ship ever since I think Nuno. Uh, their their old coach, ever since he left, they've kind of been on a downhill slump. I think they've kind of lost out in some of their talent this year and not really brought in a lot to replace them. So it'll be a pretty tough year, and they kind of flirted with relegation last year. So if they didn't really improve the squad and they didn't do too uh, many moves in the offseason, I don't know how well they're going to do this year. Yeah, they had a disastrous transfer window. They had a manager, Lopetegui, who's an incredible manager from Spain. He's incredibly gifted from a tactical standpoint. He drilled this team to be really tough to beat last year. They did not score many goals, but they were strong enough in defense to basically not get relegated, not give up enough goals where they're going to be losing a lot of games. The problem is they brought him in and they've been courting him for years And they basically didn't want to spend money this year. They have some issues with financial fair play, FFP, and he left one week ago. So it is not optimal to have one of the best managers, your manager for your team, leave one week before your first game. 
Uh, obviously, that's not a kind of traditional route to success. They did uh, replace him with Gary O'Neill, who kept Bournemouth up in the Premier League last year. He's kind of another one of these grinded out type managers. Uh, when I think the just the optics of that, the morale hit of that, they've also lost Ruben Neves, Jao Moutinho, Adama Traore, Raul Jimenez. Just like you said, those guys have all made up the spine of the team in the last like three years. And so I think they are definitely some a team that is I'd be worried about. I do not have them in 18th place, though. I did have them in 17th place. I actually think that the team that fired Gary O'Neill, who, who now is going to be managing Wolves, uh, the team that fired him is Bournemouth. Uh, Bournemouth fans basically are the ones that really liked or did not like Gary O'Neill, while every other team basically was like, Every other fan of the Premier League pundits looked at Bournemouth and said, this is not a big club. Gary O'Neill did a great job at keeping them up. But the Bournemouth fans were sick of how boring his style was, did not think that he was integrating their attacking players really well. And so they've brought in a new guy, Andoni Arola. I don't know, hopefully saying that right. But basically a guy schooled in the Bielsa school. And if you've I never heard of Marcelo Bielsa. He's kind of like this. He's your. He's kind of like your favorite rapper's favorite. Your favorite rapper, that type of thing, where all the coaches love him because he is just the most principled attacking manager, pretty much in the world. Everyone that's a good manager, Guardiola. Everyone just looks up to him. Uh, but basically, this guy he believes in running and pressing and passing, and the idea that attack is the best form of defense. Uh, he did well at Rio Vallecano last year in Spain, but I'm a little worried because I'm not sure his style is going to be able to easily be implemented in the Premier League. Bournemouth had a terrible defensive record last year, the worst of every club that wasn't relegated. Uh, they also gave up more goals from set pieces than any other team. Uh, so that combination with the Bielsa style manager who famously really don't care about defending uh, may make for some heavy defeats, but also some really excited games. So I'd be excited and i this could come back to to haunt me this prediction because i think there's a chance that he really takes bournemouth up and and basically replacing gary o'neill style with this attacking style really makes them a better team but i'm worried that he's a relatively inexperienced manager trying to implement that season without having a lot of the money to spend i'm just a little worried that it's just if if things just start to fall off a little bit i'm not sure He'll be able to right the ship. Things, I think, could go well or things could go terribly, and I'm I'm predicting they're more likely to go terribly. Talking about the the mental side of the game, like we were talking about before, it, it's kind of funny that if you lose a game by one goal or you lose a game by five goals, you know, you still are, you know, it's still a loss and you still get no points. And, of course, there's a little bit of goal differential that makes a little bit of difference, but there's just something that you see all the time where if a team gets thrashed by, you know, four or five goals, you know, Spurs last year against Newcastle, they immediately turn around and just fire their manager because uh, it kind of sends a shock through the system. Uh, but I personally, I, I like managers, especially at the, the lower level that are willing to take those risks instead of just parking the bus and say, Hey, if I'm going to lose, you know, I don't care if I lose by three or if I lose by one, uh, we're going to try to go out and play the style that I think we're going to be the most successful. So yeah, it should be a pretty interesting kind of switch in their tactics and see if it kind of pays off and they can stay up and continue the fight. Where did you have Bournemouth? So I, th- so I have Bournemouth sitting at 16. Uh, okay. And- 
yeah, kind of on the cusp of that relegation zone. So easily probably be fluctuating and going in and out of it throughout the year. Uh, but the one that the team that I have right before the relegation zone is going to be in 17th. It's going to be Nottingham Forest. Uh, funnily enough, Jeff and I, as kids growing up and playing soccer in uh, Pennsylvania, there's this team, our, our team's club name was uh, Penn's Forest, and it had the Nottingham Forest logo. Uh, we were, you know, we grew up playing there in like the late 90s, early 2000s. And this is before, well, I guess, this is while like Nottingham Forest was really, really popular. But by the time you know, we kind of got into the Premier League and stuff, I'd been like, I've never seen Nottingham Forest in the Premier League. I have no idea kind of like who this connection is. But once they're now up in the Premier League and I see their logo, I'm like, oh, you know what? I played for the green version of this team. So it's always a cool connection, I think, the two of us have. There is actually, because I always thought it was just a green version, and it kind of is, but there's also a team in the, I think they're in the in League One maybe now called Forest Green, or maybe they're in League Two, uh, and they're a similar team. And uh, I don't think they have the exact same logo, um, but I, we're kind of a, we were kind of a mix between Nottingham Forest and Forest Green. Uh, but anyway, I I had so you have uh, Nottingham Forest in seventeenth. Uh, seventeenth, and I tell people that I basically played for Forest Academy growing up. But yeah, I have them in seventeenth, um, and I think I, why I'm having them there is they did something crazy last year where they they're kind of just like a, a crazy crazy team. I think their owner uh, had some. He I think he's Greek and had a couple teams that he or a team that he owned. Uh, in, in the Greek uh, top league, but there was a lot of like implications that he kind of had corruption or paid referees or something along those lines. So he definitely wasn't uh, the most loved character from teams throughout the Greek league. But when he got forced to come up to the Premier League and get promoted, they did something crazy. And it was like 14 or 18 new players last year. I think they added to their team. They just like bought an entire new squad. So it was basically day one. We're like, hey, um, all you guys are new. Great. Meet your teammates. Shake their hands. Let's go out there and try to stay up. I mean, that pretty much never worked. But it did. I mean, it's crazy that it actually ended up working for them. Also, just another, another funny little thing is they didn't like their shirt sponsor that they had in the championship. So they thought they could like get a better deal uh, now that they're in the Premier League. And funnily enough, last year and still this year, they do not have a shirt sponsor. So it just looked weird to have a kit without a shirt sponsor. Uh, but I kind of like the old school no shirt sponsor jersey. Yeah, see, though. that's that's the non-American coming out of you again. What we're trying to do here, we're doing shirt sponsors with sleeves. We're doing shirt sponsors on the back. We're going, you know, UFC style back in the day where they had like condom brands on on the guys' butts when they're they're in the octagon. Uh, that's the kind of American capitalism. Yeah, the American, the American, the broadcasters in America must hate that you can't advertise during the actual game. They try, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, Nottingham Forest, I have them in 16th. Uh, they haven't lost too many players, um, but I am a little concerned about them getting relegated this year. I think there are a lot of teams this year that could be relegated. They had the worst away form in the entire league last year. They only got eight points in 19 away games, which is just terrible. They only got to 38 points last year. Classically, 40 points is actually kind of that uh, magical number historically where if you reach that 40 points you tend to be safe and under that you're really in trouble I think that number actually needed to be safe as going down as the there's more and more better teams at the top it means that the teams at the bottom generally aren't getting as many points as they used to but they had the f- fourth worst xg last year which is expected goals which is basically a metric of how good and how many good shots that you took 
they were able to kind of piece it together just enough, mostly relying on a guy, the emergence of Taiwo and Wonyi, who's a, a Nigerian striker. He scored six goals in their last four games, helped them secure this year's Premier League status. If he doesn't develop or kind of push on or kind of solidify himself as a, an actually really good Premier League striker, because he's only done it uh, for a few months, uh, they're going to be in trouble because they don't have anybody else to really score goals. Morgan Gibbs-White is also, he proved himself as a, their main creative player last year. He also was a part of the England team that, um, under-21 England team that won the under-21 Euros this year. But Nottingham Forest, I think they they had such a scattergun approach, like you said, but they actually found some decent talent in there um, and just kind of managed to piece it together. Um, they, everyone loves their manager. Everyone's behind the manager. Um, so I think the, you know, I'd be worried, but if, if uh, and Wonyi can actually have a really good season, I could actually see them doing reasonably well and survive. So that basically just means that we kind of have a mix up in a, just a little bit of a swap, but Bournemouth, Forest, and Wolves are kind of all between that 16th, 17th, and 18th place. And any of those teams could easily be relegated. I think it's exciting towards the end of the year. Uh, but who I have in 15th place is going to be a team that historically has been pretty good. But over the last two seasons, they have somehow done the great escape twice. And that is going to be Everton. Yeah, so Everton, I think a lot of people are also thinking that they could be relegated again this year. They barely survived last year. It came down to the very end. They they almost... Everton is a famous club in England. It is one of the most historic clubs. That, when the Premier League was formed, it was considered in that big five group. Uh, so it is one of the biggest clubs. It is Liverpool's big rival. They're building a huge new stadium in the Liverpool waterfront uh, on the river there and that is opening next year and so if they went down last year it would have been a disaster and so they actually managed to pull it out uh with a, a really cl- uh dramatic goal at the end of the year they're really lucky Leicester fell off so poorly uh so badly last year because they almost uh they almost lost it uh but if they'd gone down it would have set them back financially as they are already pretty crippled because if you look at Everton, they are essentially over the last five years the single worst run team in the Premier League. Um, the fact that they just spend so much money on awful players, they have no direction, they hire terrible managers, they basically have no. It's just a company that has no vision, no mission statement, no. It's just incredibly hodgepodge, poorly run. Um, but I actually think they did a really good thing. They appointed Sean Dyche last year who actually kept them up in the Premier League. And to be clear, his only goal this year is to just keep them up in the Premier League until they can get into their new stadium, try to get bigger revenues. Uh, But they're not giving Sean Dyche a lot of money. Sean Dyche is really famous for not spending a lot and keeping Burnley in the Premier League for five-plus years, I think. Um, He's a master at surviving without money. He's a really good manager. Uh, he's able to basically turn teams into defensive monsters, put some physical guys up top and kind of scrape out wins, uh, enough wins to kind of survive. Um, but with this Everton team, just like you, you did wonder with his Burnley, Sean Dyche's Burnley teams, you have to wonder where the goals are going to come from. Last year, they had one player with more than five goals, and that was Dwight McNeil with seven. Uh, they have a guy named Dominic Calvert-Lewin, DCL, who... Once seemingly had the world at his feet as the next big striker, seemingly going to go to a big club, Man United, something like that. But he has not been able to stay fit for the last few years. He's a really good player. And if he's fit, 
and able to kind of return to his old ways, I could see Everton doing reasonably well without that. I do think they're going to be right back in the relegation scrap, but I think Sean Dyche is just an experienced enough navigator to let them survive. Building stadiums is is a tough time. Uh, it's something that really has to be carefully planned out. And if you do not have a good uh, front and back office kind of making those plans, you can really get yourself into some serious trouble. I mean, we've seen it over the last few years, you know, with just how Spurs and Arsenal, you know, teams with bigger pockets and how they kind of struggled a little bit with transfers because, you know, a lot of their money was going towards funding that new stadium. Uh, so it's really hard to kind of pick the right time if you don't have those kind of endless pockets and Everton seem like they're just going to have to kind of weather the storm for a few years. Uh, I hope Deli Alley, who is still somehow there, has a, a redemption arc and can single-handedly kind of keep them uh, above that relegation line because they are the team that has not been relegated. They have the longest streak of uh, not being relegated in the Premier League. So if they kind of lose that, it'll be a, a something historic. And there goes their, their big streak. So where do you have Everton kind of ranked for you? I have them in 13th place. Okay, a little bit more optimistic than I have. So who do you have in 14th, then? Well, 14th, we, we, I don't want to skip 15th. Uh, 15th, I have Crystal Palace. Yeah, numbers after 10 get tough. So who do you have in 15th? So 15th, I have Crystal Palace. So they've been here for a decade. Uh, they're a team that's kind of solidified themselves in the mid-table. Mid they have a simple plan. Uh Simple plan, great band, but uh, stable manager with a 76-year-old manager, Roy Hodgson. He's basically everyone's favorite grandpa. Uh, he's getting really old. He's 76. He looks 86. And uh, they have Mark Gahey. and City Miles on that guy. He's <laughs> been out in the sun too much. The English skin uh, doesn't like that. <laughs> uh, but uh, And Joaquim Anderson as really good center backs uh, for this level with Michael Olise. Uh, Eberechi Eze and Wilfried Zaha up top have kind of basically provided the magic. So they've had a, a good spine, well drilled, and then just had like three or four really creative, talented players up top to just create enough magic in a season to score and some goals and win games. The problem is they've lost Wilfried Zaha this year. He's gone to Turkey and he has been basically the talisman of the club for the last five years or so. Uh, or really, if you if you count the time before he his kind of failed transfer to Manchester United for the last decade or so, he's been the guy there, and they are losing him this year. They're replacing him with this guy, uh, Matthias Franza. It has that little C with the little thing on it. So I don't know. I don't. I, I probably messed up the pronunciation, but uh, he's from Brazil. Fancy C. Uh, and. Uh, they hope he can kind of replace Zaha's contribution. This is a team I'm worried about. If not this season, then in one to two years. I think they have just enough this year to kind of stay stable. There's some rumors that Olise might be going to Chelsea or something. And if they lose him and Zaha, I'd be really worried about the goals drying up for them. But I think Roy Hodgson has done this enough times. He's pretty much seen everything that you can see in the in the Premier League. Uh, he even managed Liverpool uh, for some time, which was hilarious and a huge failure. Uh, but I think that's probably enough to keep them up. I think if you're over 75, there's not that many professions out there for you. You can manage Crystal Palace or you can be the president of the United States. It seems like those are pretty much your only two options. And it doesn't look like Roy Hodgson's going anywhere. So sorry if you're over 75. Uh, that's another job that's kind of been taken from you. But Staha is an interesting guy. There, there was always so much talk for years about him going on a huge transfer somewhere else. He always talked about how he wanted to play in the Champions League. And yeah, it's just not really in the cards 
uh, for Palace. But now I guess he's going to be able to do it out in Turkey. With him gone in the league, now Gabriel Jesus uh, has sealed the deal in terms of faces that are most that most look like the guy is going to cry and burst into tears on the pitch. Both of those guys, pretty much their face, like uh, just looks like they are the saddest people in the whole world. Uh, the Gabriel Jesus is is lucky; he's now number one. Um, Zaha was there on seniority from uh, from before, so uh, uh, a new uh, a new victory for Jesus. You know, I actually have another one that I think actually is maybe looks like he's going to cry a little bit more, and it's uh, Almiron for uh, Newcastle. Just take a look at him sometime he plays. It's just he has this, looks like he's on the verge of tears anytime he plays. Uh, but I do not have Palace that low i want to say i have them sitting at 13th so not too far apart of uh where we kind of think they're finally going to land on uh but a little bit different but yeah losing zaha i think that's going to be pretty pretty tough for them so going down to 14th for me is where i put a team that is very interesting and i don't know how to feel about them i don't think their fans know how to feel about them other than that they're you know had a great year last year and are a little bit worried about this year and that's going to be West Ham. So if you're a fan of Green Street Hooligans, uh, this is that very same team. They just won the Conference League, so they are going to be playing in Europa League this year, which means they have more games to play uh, and a little bit bigger of a competition, so they can't put out a second team. But what's fascinating about them is they made a lot of sales this year, uh, selling Declan Rice, which was a huge, huge, huge saga that everybody was kind of following, but they don't look like they've actually brought really anybody in with that money. And it is always hard when you make a big sale like that because teams know you have a you know deep pockets for the year and they try to kind of gouge you on prices. But I have no idea what they're doing. I've heard like rumors that Moyes is really unhappy that he hasn't gotten any players in. And I worry about them because of course they had their conference league win. It is funny because I think that Conference League win has basically meant that they have to keep Moyes because it's like their first big trophy in like decades. And it was honestly an incredible moment for Moyes and the club and Declan Rice lifting uh, a trophy for his boyhood club before he finally transferred out. But they brought in a, a, a new sporting director who's kind of like the GM in baseball or football and that kind of oversees everything. And it sounds like and he's from Bayern Leverkusen in Germany. And it sounds like him and Moyes completely disagree on who they should be buying, which is why they've bought nobody, um, which is obviously uh, a very solid alternative. Uh, just don't buy anybody uh, if you're not sure who to buy. But he wants the the sporting director wants to buy kind of young foreign players like Brighton does that are cheaper um, that they can maybe eventually sell on for bigger money. While as Moyes has basically seen some of those guys fail for West Ham over the last few years and really wants to go after guys like Harry Maguire, Scott McTominay, James Ward-Prowse, all guys that are Premier League proven. It's a good name right threw there. Threw that in there. Uh, who uh, basically know how the league is played and can kind of solidify things. The problem is when you're buying those guys, they tend to be expensive uh, when you're buying from un- other English teams. So I would my prediction is that David Moyes is not – the manager of this team in one year from now. I do think they have good enough players. Um, they, Especially guys like uh, Lucas Pacata, uh, who Man City is 
maybe going to buy for a hundred million. I don't know. That would be kind of crazy. Uh, but uh, that with guys like Jared Bowen, Thomas Sojcik, they have a good uh, central defensive partnership with Aguerd and Zuma. Um, they just have a decent enough spine that I don't think this is a team that's going to go down. But honestly, they have a lot of turmoil. I think the fans have kind of turned on Moyes. Uh, the, the thing about these guys that are just kind of play these dinosaurs that tend to be British that just kind of play these really defensively solid, tactically sound, but not exciting soccer is that that's fine for like five years. But eventually the fans are like, I actually just pay money to be entertained, not to just stay in the mid table of Premier League. Like I have no hope of this team ever being like great. I mean, part of that was like uh, deferred from, you know, part of that was didn't actually actually was okay given that they won European silverware last year. But I think the fans are just kind of sick of him. Um, So I think he'll be gone in a year, but I think the team's good enough to stay up. That's what we call terrorist football. It's the, the Danny Jones uh, dilemma. You know, he took him to the playoffs, looked okay. Well, now you're stuck with them. So a little bit of success, and you can't fire guys after they have a relatively successful year. And that's going to take at least to my spot. That's my 14th. I have Palace at 13th, which I think we already talked. And who do you have at your 13th? My 13th was Everton, um, but my 14th um, is a team that we have not yet talked about. So just to make it clear, I have Sheffield at 20, Luton at 19, Bournemouth at 18, Wolves at 17, Forest at 16, Palace at 15th, and then Burnley at 14th. So Burnley, if you haven't really followed the Premier League before, they were kind of a classic team in the Premier League for five, six years. They were known as the toughest, most physical team in the league. They had Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes up top who were just bullied people. Like These guys were like the guys that you know would have been more – American football players and they just like elbowed people up top scored scrappy goals and this is where Sean Dyche made his name it's a small club that managed to stay up while spending almost no money Um, eventually they kind of just didn't spend enough money and even though they had Sean Dyche they were relegated I think most people thought Burnley would never be heard from again just like relegated into the depths of the ocean that is the the league and uh, just never heard from again but now they actually did an incredible thing I I think they might be owned by Americans now too, but they uh, appointed Manchester City captain, former captain and legend Vincent Company, who's a Pep Guardiola disciple. And boy, did that work out for them. They finished with 101 points last year in the championship, uh, won the championship, and Vincent Company looks destined for the top in terms of management. If you want to just hear a little bit about him, um, you can just go watch his overlap podcast or interview with Gary Neville on YouTube. Um, he really comes across as really likable. He always has seemed intelligent and now he has some success with the pedigree from Pep Guardiola style behind him. So, uh, I think the biggest thing though, is like, how do these expansive sides and they so Burnley plays a really kind of possession based attacking based control based style. That's one thing to do in the championship, but a lot harder to do in the premier league when, you're, you don't have the money and the players that other really good teams do. So I think company is not the type of guy to compromise his principles. There's always this argument that you'll hear all these like British pundits be like, they've got to change their style. They have to get defensively solid to stay in the Premier League. Like they can't, they can't just ship goals all season. But I think ten, that doesn't tend to work to like completely change your style. So I think they got to do what they 
that worked for them last year. It's just the question is, do they have the players to do that? I don't think their relegation fodder, and I, funnily enough, ranked them uh, above what you had. I put them at 12th, and I'm going to say something that's contradicting. Uh, I think company kind of rated some of the the Belgian teams out there with lesser known players, just because you know he, he's a legend for Belgium, and you know he's kind of integrated into. Uh, some of the coaching and player infrastructure. So he brought over some some guys on maybe some sweetheart deals. So he got, I don't know how long I can really last for him. So uh, we'll see how he does in the Prem again. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see just more of the, the Pep uh, disciples or coaching tree if you, if you like to follow uh, American NFL kind of sports analogies. But it'll be interesting to see how you know people trying to kind of replicate or who learn from Pep and see how they kind of do in the league. Yeah, I think there's enough bad teams in the Premier League this year that I think their style will get them enough wins um, instead of kind of the draws that that defensive style gets. But I think much like Moyes, I think there's a very good chance that Vincent Company is not the manager of Burnley in one year, and if, but for a different reason. If he does well, I think he's going to a bigger club. All right, so then I had Everton in 13th place, um, and we talked about Everton. Um, and then in 12th, I had a team that... Uh, I'm quite partial to as I'm also a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. Um, and it's a team that Jacksonville Jaguars owner Shad Khan also runs, and that is Fulham. Um, it's run by Shad Khan's son, Tony, who also does all elite wrestling. If you're one of those people that are into wrestling, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot, actually a good amount of crossover between wrestling and, and Premier League for some reason. Um, maybe both are scripted. I don't know. Uh, but last year, they were quite successful. Uh, they finished 10th place. Um, they are basically powered by uh, Alexander Mitrovic, who is just an enigmatic, kind of aggressive, angry striker. Um, I mean, he's Serbian. He was suspended for quite a while for aggressively pushing a referee. But basically, he his goals made Fulham, who were considered a team that most people, or at least a lot of people thought would be relegated, into a good mid-table team. Um him and Marco Silva were both tried to be poached by the Saudis this year. And it seemed like there was a period of time where Mitrovic had basically maybe told the team that he'd never play for them again. Uh, but Fulham was basically like, no, I'm, we're not going to sell him. And Tony Khan got on Twitter and basically called uh, the Saudis uh, murderers, for especially for all the Jamal Khashoggi situation and all this stuff, and basically got into a Twitter war with uh, the sovereign state of Saudi Arabia, um, basically, and refused to sell these guys. So it does seem like Marco Silva, who turned down Saudi money, um, Mitrovic, um, as well as William, are all going to stay. Um, so I think with those three, their team is probably good enough to to survive. If there was a change and those guys left, I'd be worried. Of note, they also have this guy, Jao Polina, who's an incredible tough tackling, powerful defensive midfielder who I think had the most tackles and interceptions in the Premier League last year. Um, He might even be better than Mitrovic. He's injured right now, but I think if they're going to survive, he's going to have another good year too. They have some experienced players. Uh, I think I have them sitting at 11th, so pretty close to kind of where you have them. But you're right. They are, interestingly enough, the the place where if you think of U.S. uh, men's national team players going to play in England, it's usually going to be a place like Fulham. Yeah, Brian McBride, man, Clint Dempsey. Yeah, uh, these guys are these guys are classic. Casey Keller was there for a little bit. Yeah, oh, just, wow. um, oh and Tim Ream there is there now. Who's the, yeah, 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 the old the old head. All right, so let's get uh, let's get to who do you have in eleventh place? 
So for 11th place, what I am sitting at right now is going to be Fulham. So we just talked to them. I think everybody below, uh, I've already talked. So 20th Sheffield, 19 Luton, 18 Wolves, 17 Forest, 16 Bournemouth, 15 Everton, then West Ham, Palace, Burnley, and then Fulham at 11th. So that's actually going to be our my bottom 10 teams. Uh, what do you have? Anything different in your bottom 10? I think our bottom 10 teams all agree, although in slightly different orders. Yeah, so again, at the end of the year, we'll kind of take a look and see how right or wrong we are. But I think the bottom is usually where it's a little bit easier to make those predictions. Uh, Of course, there'll be one or two teams that punch above their weight class, one or two that kind of disappoint. But it's usually pretty easy to guess that teams that just got promoted are probably going to have some trouble unless it's your Leicester City and you somehow go ahead and win in league. All right, so look forward to part two. Uh, We're going to do the top 10, do some other uh, predictions for individual awards and players and transfers of the season, uh, and we will do that in part two. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening, and uh, we're signing off.